welcome to One on One. My name is Steven Sloan, and I'm still waiting for the real Slim Shady to please stand up. And joining me live from the nation's capital, both of us? That's right, yeah. For the first time ever, we're recording this in the same city. Yeah, notice he didn't say same room. That's because I am in our dining room, and he is in our family room, because we can't get the mics to not pick one another up. Little behind-the-scenes yeah, action. We are taping this on... Um, a slightly less Super Tuesday. Yep. There yep. are still polling results coming in. I might I might or might not be refreshing Twitter as we're taping this to see who is going to be president. Mick demonstrating his commitment to the podcast at all times. I'm demonstrating my commitment to America. That's fair. Uh, so, listen, going back to your comment, I hate to break it to you. I don't think Slim Shady is going to stand up. Yeah, I think he's, um, it's been a rough decade for, for Eminem. Yeah, so, um... So what are we talking about this week, speaking of Eminem? We're going a little bit off the rails, because, um, you know, this being one-on-one, and our, uh, flimsily established brand is that we take two things and compare them. Uh, so our two things of the day are Eminem and Drake, two rappers of different generations, peaked about 15 years apart and i got to thinking about this it's probably like a month ago i was listening to drake while i was driving to a doctor's appointment like this is actually true i was sitting in traffic and listening to drake and i it occurred to me that i think eminem and drake had similar fan bases demographically yeah and this is one of those things where i reflexively was like nah that's not true and then I literally thought about it for about 15 seconds, and I realized that he was totally right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not exactly the same, of course. There are Eminem fans who probably wouldn't be Drake fans if they were around today and vice versa. Well, no, I think the point is that that, that speaks to a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Because neither of us is particularly interested in defending Eminem, given everything he's done and said over the years. That's why it's sort of breaking down from the usual format. But we did think that the juxtaposition of the two created some really interesting discussions. And I think the reason why most Drake fans today maybe wouldn't have been Eminem fans back when he was popular and vice versa is not because they're fundamentally different kinds of people, but because the, the parameters that define their listening group, though they kind of are the same, are, are affected by the world. Basically what we're saying is, that that kind of post-adolescent male uh, and how he's expressed himself has changed. Uh, white male, I should say, because the major listening base of both of those artists are kind of in that mid to late 20s um, white American. Yeah, and, and, I, and I wouldn't say major. I don't want to suggest necessarily that that is the majority of their supporters because, quite frankly, I don't have the information on that but i would say that definitely both rappers in their respective times found a lot of popularity with yeah that sort of like teenage to 20s aged um white guys yeah and and how that demographic has stayed the same obviously because that's how demographics work but the way they sort of see themselves in the world and the way they express their their identity has changed and we think that these two artists reflect the drastic differences in how they saw themselves and see themselves today. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I think it stands to point out, you mentioned this sort of at the beginning, uh, that neither of us is particularly interested in defending Eminem. 
I think that's always been the case. We were a little too young for him when he was at his heyday. I mean, we we both kind of got into rap in what late late 2000s and so he was yeah yeah the first time i really started listening to rap was like right at the end of high school when i i picked up kanye west and then it sort of went from there as sort of an interesting thing actually that same summer the summer after i graduated high school i saw eminem at in concert yeah Lollapalooza. he was yeah he was headlining Lollapalooza, and i saw him just because it was I just thought it was worth seeing him because I knew he was such an icon. And for starters, his, his show was really, really packed. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was the kind of thing. If you've ever been to Grant park, an entire section of the park was just completely taken up with just the sea of Eminem fans. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what it's like a couple football fields, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, it was packed. Like I, I would say there were probably, there were probably like a hundred thousand. Yeah. There. And th- so this was, I mean, way past when he was really big, but he still obviously has a big footprint and less so now, but certainly back. Yeah. Then. And, and it, um, and it just kind of goes to show he really was deeply iconic for a lot of people. And there were a lot of people who were in their 30s, in, the, in their 30s, and even it seemed like their late 30s in that crowd, who probably listened to Eminem when they were teenagers or when they were in college. And it was, it was almost like a pilgrimage for them to see this idol. Okay, so one thing that's really... That's really uh, really strikes me and that i really remember he has a very well-known single off of his i want to say 2010 album recovery and it's probably most one of probably his most famous song of the past 10 years called love the way you lie and it's basically about this extremely abusive like relationship and eminem I, I hope it's a fictional version of Eminem, but he's got pretty a pretty spotty history when it comes to his treatment of women, and he he very he very specifically references that in the this song "Love the Way You Lie" that he hits her and and that he threatens to like tie her to the bed and set the house on fire, and the way he introduced this song was he said, "Has anyone in the crowd ever been a dysfunctional relationship?" Yeah, and I think that sums up Eminem perfectly. Yeah. It's this fundamental lack of understanding of abuse. Yeah. Um and and certainly I mean he's he's talked a lot about this. Um he he talks about the the violence against women in his in his lyrics much in the way Tyler the Creator talks about his sort of general violence occasionally at um against women in in his music and it's sort of this this way to blow off steam they both describe it and eminem sort of talks about it from a prejudicial standpoint of or or at the very least from a he feels as if he's unfairly discriminated against because they don't understand what the women in his life have done to him he can believe that but obviously that's not an excuse for this kind of deeply violent uh, imagery that he uses that undeniably affects people who listen to his music you know he does kind of whether he wants to believe it or not implicitly condone this kind of behavior and that i mean you can get into a lot of directions as to whether or not that's a fair um judgment to make but it's certain i would certainly argue that there's no positive to this the kind of language and so i i've always been very that and his his um homophobic yeah 
tinge to some of his music. I've I've never been able to, despite truly believing that he's one of the most talented rappers who's ever hit the scene i just can't reconcile how much disdain i have for so many of his personal views and his lyrics with the respect i have for him as a rapper and so i've never been able to get into him in the way a lot of people have yeah yeah and and so it was it was striking for me because you know with this song which at this show he described as being about a dysfunctional relationship I mean, I would think of a dysfunctional relationship as maybe there's there's poor communication. Maybe they don't really value one person doesn't really value the other. I think of an abusive relationship. Well, for starters, literally, it's an abusive relationship. And it's far more sinister than the idea than the term dysfunctional would evoke. And that was for starters. Two things is worth knowing is that's 2011. So five years ago. And I think that there have been pretty enormous strides in the conversation about violence against women. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and not to say that we don't have a long way to go on that conversation, but I think that this was before a real explosion in that dialogue. And also, that song, as violent as some of the language and the imagery in it is, is relatively tame compared to some of the stuff... Yeah, compared to some of the stuff that he... I mean, when you listen to his early stuff, I think without the benefit of listening to it at the time and being kind of desensitized to that type of language, it's kind of unbelievable to me that he was ever popular and this was ever acceptable. Yeah, and I think that kind of gets, though, at what we're talking about, um, because I think for a lot of people... um, and this gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly, but he he allowed them to. I mean, you can. I don't want to compare him to Donald Trump, but I think there's a there's a a parallel in that he kind of allowed people to express feelings that they didn't feel comfortable having themselves. Yeah. And and he talks about that a lot, um, especially in um, I I believe it's in the real Slim Shady, but I'm not sure. He he actually talks pretty explicitly about how he just says the stuff that you guys all say to one another you just don't want to say to the world and and i think he allowed a window for for disgruntled young men who felt disenfranchised or left behind for whatever reason to express this kind of anger that they had without necessarily resorting to actually affecting the women in their lives or other people around them yeah and and by the way and by the way I don't I certainly don't want to imply that I think that everyone who listens to Eminem or whose music resonate or uh, who found his music resonated with them is in in support or even condones those types of actions. Yeah, well, there is a lot of uh, he he talked about a lot of things be- besides just this, that it's it's perfectly valid. It's just for some people. You can't get past yeah, and and this. the thing is, I yeah. I think the key is that I think people found his music resonant because sometimes when you're angry, and you know if you're a high school college aged like man, you probably get angry over like silly things, and you need some sort of outlet for that anger. Listening to Eminem like screaming and fantasizing about hitting people, I guess provided some sort of cathartic release. I I. I can't really speak to that, 
because that's never been how I've processed my emotions. In Eminem's case, I think specifically what he was talking about was kind of secondary, and people just kind of wanted to listen to someone who was as angry as they were to know that there were other people who were angry too. And also, it's kind of ironic because oftentimes, especially I'm thinking about in the Hollywood debate, a lot of white people who want to ignore the the uh, inclusion issue in Hollywood will say like, oh, well, you know, we just want the best actors. And, and the response that's very common is, you know, I want people who look like me because I don't feel like I'm represented. And I, I honestly do think that a certain aspect of Eminem's appeal is that young white men had already been pretty strong consumers of hip hop to this point. And, and I think they gravitated to, to him because he looked like them and, and he felt like and they felt like they had a voice in this community that they'd already put so much investment emotionally into. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think people naturally want to feel represented in the things they love. But I just I think it's interesting that um, given that people are less sympathetic now to people of color who want faces that look like theirs in movies and importantly in movies. And so I, I think that's an aspect of Eminem's appeal, because uh, I, I think a lot of the time people look at his race in a very cynical fashion, and I do think there's a lot of that. But I also think there's a much purer desire to be represented in how popular yeah, but, he um, I So I, I think it's worth pointing out, and we've danced around this a lot, and I, I don't want to make this all about uh, all about bagging on Eminem and certainly not on his fans. You can listen to the music I, you want to listen to. That doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't yeah, mean you condone I mean, everything yeah, your, your people I, say. I'm sure that I've listened to a lot of musicians who have said some questionable things either in their music or outside. I caved and listened to The Life of Pablo. I mean, I don't. that doesn't mean I condone what Kanye West says or what the way he's behaved recently, but I respect his music. And that's something that I personally have to deal with. And I'm sure everybody who listens to mm-hmm. any number of controversial artists do they don't just wholesale accept these artists so we're not saying that that if you listen to eminem or if eminem resonates with you there's something wrong with you yeah yeah there's a lot of his music that is certainly resonates with people for very pure and fair reasons but i think i think that when you look at eminem for starters both the man and the music he created have not aged well <laughs> no Certainly uh, not. Eminem's uh, his most recent musical output, I guess, was it the Marshall Mathers or LP two? LP two. I believe that was his most. It's recent. really bad. It's I mean, good. I like I and I. I don't mean I don't mean that in an objective sense. I'm sure some people like it. I found I find it bad. Well, I see. Again, I struggle with this because I think there's one track. It's called Rap God. It's about six minutes long, and it is just a masterclass on every possible example of flow it's it's one of the most incredible technical examples of eminem and yet he drops a pair of homophobic slurs that make me literally cringe every time yeah yeah and that's and that's coming from like like that's coming from us talking about this from a position of privilege as because we're as like as straight guys even even despite that when i hear him use those types of of slurs in his language like I wince listening to it. Yeah, you're just like, come on, man, you lost that battle. It's just like at a certain point, you know, there was a great cultural blind spot to this type of language. Especially in hip-hop. Yeah, and and everyone has kind of moved on but him. And in fact, actually, you you won't see a lot of coverage about this, but maybe we can like link to something in, in the description for this. There's been a pretty 
widely accepted movement to extinguish the use of that specific homophobic slur from rap. Kanye is probably a famous example of someone who decided he was never going to use that word. I don't remember at a certain point that was, but it's an example it's an example of how the rap game and culture in general has kind of moved past Eminem on certain social issues. Even though there are certain messages in rap that are still very socially problematic. Yeah. But As it, it exposes this huge cultural blind spot on the way that people regarded women and violence towards women. And the way that people regarded the way that you can talk about gay people and about about basically any any minority of sexual orientation of race i think that blind spot sort of came from well i'm angry don't i get to be angry this is like you don't understand what my life is like and what i have to go through yeah and and to bring that sort of since we've we've spent a long time on eminem and we'll obviously come back i think to bring that into drake where where drake has kind of come in to fill that void obviously I think everybody has moved forward as we've talked. There's certainly a long way to go, but pretty much everybody at this point acknowledges that violence against women, even in hip hop and things like that, is unacceptable. But what's interesting about Drake is one of the reasons I struggle with him is there's this really interesting blind spot in his music that I think comes Mm -hmm. from a similar place. This I'm angry, I'm hurt, don't I get to be hurt? But it manifests itself in Drake all too often for my taste in this sort of weird, misogynistic, sexual politics yeah. thing. You know, he talks every, all the time about how women he used to date, whatever, used to be good girls, quote unquote. Yeah. And the implication is that they probably weren't as promiscuous, they dressed right, they acted right, and now they're off the rails when frankly he has no right to pass any kind of judgment on that and and i think in certain circles people are starting to call him and others on that but i do think it's revealing a similar blind spot that's coming from a very similar place these young men who have acknowledged now that violence is not acceptable but have now moved on to this weird kind of sexual policing body politics kind of thing as a as the channel by by the way it stands to point out uh just just to make sure that no one thinks we're taking ourselves too seriously. Uh, every time we say either young men or white men, I kind of just want to laugh. Um, yeah, because we're, we're both we're both, both we're both um white we're both you know young white men. We're both like at the top of the privilege chain. So yeah, it's it's always uncomfortable to talk about this sort of stuff because we're we're both straight white well-to-do men. So. Please take everything we say with a grain of salt. Yeah, and I, I don't want it to seem like we're like looking down our noses and lecturing other people of that same demographic that we yeah, have. Yeah, both of us have our own peccadillos and, yeah. and things. But, but it's, it's an interesting point that you make because I kind of think, and this is what I was tying to, I think that they resonate with similar audiences and they both tap into that similar idea of anger and dissatisfaction. Because I think that Drake is sort of like an extension of Eminem's brand for this current generation. In that the pain and the hurt that 
Drake feels and expresses in his music. For starters, it's a little more inwardly focused. So yeah, certainly. Yeah, so you you could get this sense of self-loathing in some of his music that you don't that you would never really hear in an Eminem track. Yeah, it's sort of implied in Eminem's music, whereas whereas in Drake's music, it's often very much on the surface. It's 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 and that it was anathema at the time to make those kinds of self-loathing and self-doubting feelings known in Eminem's era. Yeah, and Drake is much more emotionally literate too. You know, it demonstrates how much more emotionally literate men have become, young men, have become over the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And again, with the caveat that there's still ground to be made up in that advancement. <laughs> we can probably just say that from this point on, it goes without saying, we're not saying we've fixed anything. Like, we're always in a state of improvement. Everything can always get better. But the uh, men's ability to be emotional has certainly improved but yeah, I, I think that at the root of both of their music and the philosophies that sort of define their music in general is the idea that if you're hurt and you're downtrodden and you're angry, the way that you stop those feelings is with power over whoever it may be. It doesn't necessarily for like a man, it doesn't necessarily need to be power over over women because Drake is very, very dismissive of his competitors on a lot of his tracks but it's interesting because i think that whereas eminem sort of power tripping music manifested itself in physical violence drake has realized that in this era the way that you can express your power best is through your success and through your money yeah and it's you know it's it's one of the first things that me that's mentioned on all of drake's like very powerful sort of um self-boosting tracks where he really tries to emphasize his power is he has a lot of money yeah which is not i mean that's been a common theme across hip-hop for a long time he he does it in a very specific and very material way yeah and there's also there's an intimacy to him like with with a lot of tracks of this nature you look at somebody like jay-z who seems like he's saying these things with a megaphone whereas with drake whenever he makes these references you always get the feeling that he's talking directly to whoever he's putting down yeah well it's it's like um so full disclosure i was kind of anti-drake to a significant degree until very recently the story of how i started liking drake is kind of funny because i actually texted you and i said hey so i'm listening to nothing was the same and i like it but i don't like any of his other stuff is it too late for me and you texted back and said if i'm reading this it's too late drake slam yeah yeah and uh and so i got really into that album and then i got really into take care which is his second studio album but on tuscan leather there's a line that where he says rich enough that i don't have to tell him that i'm rich which which is funny because it's sort of trying to be confident and implying that he's so confident he doesn't need to tell people he's rich. Yeah, except he's telling you that he's rich. Yeah, and, and that's, that's sort of him trying to have it both ways. Whereas I think when Eminem would express how powerful he was by saying, yeah, like, if you say bad things about me, I'm going to kill you. Drake would just be like, oh, you're, like, dissing me? Well, like, look at all this money I have. And I, like, we're drinking every night to my accomplishments. 
and I dropped like 50k on a vacation for my boys because like I don't save my money. And actually, <laughs> yeah. I think the defining track of this sort of phenomenon we're talking about here might be worst behavior, which is hilarious in this context because worst behavior kind of implies a certain. Uh, it's just it's dripping with bravado starting with the title and then you have the beat he's sort of just like barking like at one point he's like you know me it's like <laughs> yeah and he says like i'm liable to do anything when it comes to that you owe me it's like really are people afraid that drake is gonna come yeah, shake required them reading like, for this segment um i i don't know how easy it'd be to find but try searching pitchfork.com did an incredible uh list of all of drake uh, drake's worst behaviors and it, it's stuff like like he leaves the toilet seat up or, or stuff it's yeah. amazing he it's, didn't he didn't tuck his napkin yeah into his shirt it's just dinner. search just search uh pitchfork drake's worst behavior and you see what we're talking about it's this guy who's trying to tap in i think to a certain extent to that kind of violent masculinity of earlier hip-hop and as worst talking about specifically eminem and it's just succeeding or just failing miserably because nobody believes that he's actually capable of any of this and and by and by the way it's like by the way it's like a great song like i i love the song and i actually like to okay this is this is rude i like to listen to it when like i want like a hop in my step because it's very brash and it's very bold but I also don't feel like there's anything dangerous at stake with it. So I feel like I can listen to it without feeling bad about it. Like I, I could I could never listen like there's there's an Eminem song that's literally called Kill You and it's just about how you don't wanna like mess with Shady because he'll kill you and that's the entire chorus. Which by the way though, in retrospect, that chorus is like incredibly funny. Yeah, it's it's just ludicrous. Yeah. When I say his music hasn't aged well, like I don't just mean that his later albums are not good. It's just that he's just screaming into the wind yeah he's he's like completely lost any nuance to the way he raps or anything like it's just this constant like annoying barking noise but yeah one of the one of the things about drake for starters one of the things he brags about is that he plays tennis at the crib and he swears he could beat serena when she's playing with her left and it's it's like this guy is wants you to be afraid of him and he's on his worst behavior and he's playing tennis matches at the crib well i think i think with that there's a there's a winking kind of there's a knowledge to that one, yeah I, think. I oh and and it's possible that the entire song is very self-aware in that sense yeah it's possible i i don't really know what his mindset was <laughs> but there there's another line where he says like i got the mail staring at the check make you want to throw up man it's gross what i net it's like a paycheck joke and yeah that's what it makes so clear because like i think we all kind of know how much things have changed it feels like things are changing very quickly but it is amazing to look and to realize that these two guys are speaking to very similar demographics yeah and see like how drastically different their message and their demeanor and everything is and and that and that transitions to that transitions to i think drake's um i think drake's kind of off the mic persona as well because he he seems like i mean he seems like a relatively like affable guy yeah he seems he certainly seems like he's either friends with or has taken great pains to seem to be friends with everyone 
and like he's like shooting like he's like airballing threes with the Kentucky like basketball team and he's a fan of every sports team especially if they're winning he was the actual winner of the Super Bowl with the only like actually good commercial that night the only the only like time he's ever i think been in any like sketchy legal situation was when he made a snide comment to chris brown in the club and chris brown started throwing bottles at him um and yeah and it's like drake's not gonna come out as the bad guy in that because chris brown is you know literally one of the worst people in music in yeah (laughs) well one of the worst ones we know about yeah that's true there yeah and so so it's just it's interesting it's incredible when you listen to drake and when you listen to eminem because you think about or you listen to eminem and you think i can't believe this used to fly back then and you listen to drake and you think there was no time before five years ago where this kind of music would be taken seriously and where people would sort of listen to drake and just get all hyped to it but at the same time i also kind of have that feeling that like in 15 years, we're going to look back at Drake and be like, man, how could that guy have been such a jerk to women? Like, I, I do genuinely think that's a possibility. Huh. I, I'm going to try and defend. I'm going to try and defend Hotline Bling here for a second. And by defend, I mean mostly attempt to explain it. I think it's a very, very petty song. I think Drake probably needs to get over it because, like, it sounds like he left the city and now he's just like, girl, what are you doing? Uh, but at the same time, I'm not gonna sit here and act like I've never had, like, petty thoughts about, like, someone who I've, or, like, a past, like, person from my personal life like that. Never in the same way that Drake Right, does. and I think, but I think that's the key. I think the key is that the ownership with which he, he treats these women who used to he used to be used to be important to him and i think the interest a lot of drake's songs focus on like women who he feels have wronged him over the years which i mean to be fair that much like how taylor swift's whole writing songs about exes thing is overblown people have been written writing about women who've done them wrong quote unquote for literally decades if not hundreds of of years music basically like we wouldn't have a popular music industry without that right yeah but he he does it with a kind of pettiness that's very relatable not necessarily maybe not to you or to me but like i think to a lot of people because he doesn't want the people who he feels have wronged him to hurt but he definitely wants them to be sorry for what he feels they've done to him <laughs> yeah. and yeah so like there's a the second track off of take care is called i think it's just called shot for me and it's about he's like talking to this girl who i guess i don't know broke his heart or something i'm just drawing from what i can draw from the lyrics and now he's the man and so he's like you're probably just getting wasted all the time because you see me on magazines and stuff and you're like man I miss Drake. And so he just says, well, next time you're getting faded, take a shot for me. And it's just so, it's so obnoxious, but it's also petty in a way that I think a lot of people have been in this, that situation. Like, I think a lot of people who feel that they've, who maybe like had like a nasty breakup, they probably at least once had a thought where they're like, yeah, well, if you could see me now. And, like, Drake can draw some real catharsis from that, I think, because he's in the situation where he can say, I'm an extremely successful and rich rapper, 
and look at you like you're not any of those yeah and i think it's that same he he taps into a very different but very similar sort of feeling where a lot of people are kind of ashamed to admit that they feel that way um and drake gives them an outlet to express that kind of petty anger or kind of jealous controllingness almost he allows them to express that in a way that feels less damaging or or like less scary almost yeah and and i think that i think that you make a really interesting point like it, it, i have no idea how we're going to view drake's music in 15 years i'm sure that while there were some people who thought that we would view eminem's music as kind of horribly offensive now i'm sure that there were a lot of people at the time who were just like well he's making a statement he's saying what other people won't say which by the way like in a lot of cases quote unquote he's saying what other people won't say sometimes that ends up being a good look but a lot of times it doesn't and it also usually means he's saying things that i want to be able to say but i can't because society won't let me and i mean it does it does stand to point out that i think drake i think he does a lot of things musically that are very interesting yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. he has a good ear for beats and also like i'm not saying that like i think shot for me is a great example um that's a very to me that's a very different kind of emotion everybody's had that feeling that like oh yeah well i bet they're like they're having this terrible life and i'm like look at me now like i have a job and i'm really successful it's when drake gets into trouble it's when he starts policing the women who used to be important to him that that's really because like again far be it from me to judge drake for how he deals with relationships like we've all had troubles and we've all done things or said or thought things that we wish we wouldn't yeah the thing that we have to be careful about is not to let that go into the things like hotline bling where he starts doing that kind of bs no i just care about you when really he's just mad and he's expressing it in a way that makes everybody who listens to him feel like he thinks he owns this woman which is obviously completely unacceptable and by the way for all we know it's possible that he really does care because i know i haven't been in this situation with like a friend of mine who's a woman but i i have had like guy friends who like very abruptly change their lifestyle and i'm just like sitting back and i'm like what are you doing like this isn't you like why are you doing this and that's patronizing of me to think about and it's it's more problematic the way that Drake does it with the, like the whoever the subject of Hotline Bling is. But I, I think that even if Drake is doing it with altruistic intentions, I think that to do that requires a bit, a bit more of a nuance than that song has. Yeah, well, this, this gets into a whole other thing about like whether we have any right to comment on or judge other people's choices. And that's a conversation that neither of us is going to be able to solve. I mean, but. I think that obviously everyone's allowed to have an opinion, but you're also yeah. you also have to understand that if your opinion goes unwanted yeah you, you don't you don't get to be yeah, mad you've about got, it you've got you've yeah, got to just like, move on yeah like if drake if this girl from if the girl from hotline bling or the woman from hotline bling was like well this is what i want to do now like i'm in a different stage of my life i would hope drake would be like okay i guess i have to respect your choice right he, he doesn't get to wouldn't. say yeah that's just because you're being crazy like he doesn't he the thing that bothers me about drake's music is i never get the feeling that he understands that it, it feels like he's like 
oh, I am a man and I am always in a state where I can see the facts and I can tell you, the crazy woman, that you don't understand how you're acting right now. And that's when I think his music gets really problematic. Yeah, yeah, and and it's weird. And actually, I think, I think that a lot of his music is really self-aware. Yeah, I think I think uh, especially recently, I think he's become a very self-aware person. Yeah, that's that's why that's why Hotline Bling find kind of felt like dissonant with the direction he's yeah. been going. Yeah, and I don't know. And and for all we know, he wrote it in like two minutes. <laughs> yeah. it's not exactly poignant and resonant lyrics. and also let's not pretend he's the only person who does this yeah, it's not yeah. like the world has left him behind in the way that eminem today feels left behind a lot yeah. of people express it this way but the point is we kind of have to if we don't start calling people on it which is what happened with eminem it's not going to change so yeah. I, i'm not interested in like putting all of these things on drake but i yeah. also don't want to apologize for him yeah one, one of my favorite drake lyrics and i think it's kind of revealing, at least to the person he projects himself to be. He says, I'm honest. I make mistakes. I'd be the second to admit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it, it's a very interesting way of saying that he knows when he wrongs other people, but he's also not going to pretend like he wasn't being selfish and oblivious. Yeah. And there's times on his albums where he calls himself selfish. And uh, it it's interesting because... He doesn't hit the same really poignant emotional depth that someone like Kanye does on like a track like Runaway or on really that entire album. Mm -hmm. But I think he does a better job at being self-aware than Kanye does. <laughs> you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he is up against like, literally one of the most, one of the least self-aware yeah. people. Yeah, I, in I, existence I right think now. Kanye. I think Kanye's has sort of neuroses that run a lot deeper than uh than drake's does i think ultimately for drake it's a really powerful need to belong yeah because he had like and eminem had a pretty awful upbringing too as mm -hmm. i sound it he certainly seems like he hates his mom yeah jeez. uh yeah he wanted just man like you want to just talk about like a lot to unpack with that maternal relationship. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but Drake was in, I think one of the most unique situations you'd find for a rapper growing up where he spent his childhood, either living in like a nice suburban part of Toronto with his mom or in sort of a, a like a lower income neighborhood in Memphis with his dad. Mm -hmm. That put him in a place where he was not rich enough for the wealthy kids and too rich for the, I think the word he used was the hood kids. Yeah, he didn't really belong yeah. in either world because he had one foot yeah. in both. Yeah, and yeah. so his solution as a rapper has been, I'm going to be so successful and so wealthy and so, like, ubiquitous that everyone's going to want to be my friend. Like, that's really, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the goal. He, he wants every person to either want to be friends with him or to want to, like, date him. Well, yeah, if, if there's an interesting through line in his music videos. Yeah. Oftentimes, it's either him surrounded by a bunch of his friends mm -hmm. or him watching women dance yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's exactly that. He's, like, making you watch him have friends. It's really strange. And yet, and yet at the same time, on all of his album covers, he's alone. Like, like the album cover for Take Care, which in a lot of cases is a very celebratory album, is him by himself 
with like a drink or in a restaurant like looking sad yeah it is one of the saddest album covers yeah and the first track over my dead body he says a lot of like very brash and bragging things but it's all over the like beat of this very kind of like sad almost like a lullaby type of thing and it's just this really interesting contrast so i think he kind of reminds you of sort of the wounded person underneath in a way that very few rappers ever have and certainly in a way that like like you just you can't connect at all to Eminem the person when you listen to his music. Yeah, because you can feel the facade. I mean, literally, he has an alter ego. Yeah. You can feel the facade that he puts up because he's too scared to show people who he really is. And yeah, but with Drake, I mean, I'm sure it's constructed to a certain extent, but you feel like you know who he yeah. is. And you can feel sort of the emotional connection between you and him when you listen to his music in a way that you couldn't with Eminem. So I, I have a question, which is... Who do you think is the rapper who's a superstar right now who we are most likely to, in 15 or 20 years, look back at and be like, whoa, what were people doing? I don't know. That's really tough. I would say Kanye, except for the fact that Kanye's appeal has never been in his lyrics. Kanye's musical footprint will never be wiped away a lot of what he says ranges from childish to damaging but i think people will throw out his lyrics i don't think it'll be this drastic but not unlike the way we kind of glaze over people like um curtis blow from the early hip-hop years you know you you think about the the djs more than you think about the rappers from that time because it just it, it was such a completely different way to approach the music that it just doesn't it sounds kind of silly yeah. to by, us. by the way I, I think it stands to point out especially because unless people listen to our short-lived kanye podcast uh you're like an amateur like rap historian <laughs> i would never call myself a rap historian but i'm very very interested in uh the development the sort of rapid domination of hip-hop in the mainstream music so yeah i i've I've read a lot. I've done research on it. I'm really, really into kind of how hip hop developed and then how it became, I mean, the global form of pop music. And actually a, an interesting and topical thing that just happened. Um, the Kennedy Center here in D.C. named, I, I don't remember the exact title, but they named Q-Tip the director uh-huh. of hip hop, basically. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. I think it just I think it just that's came out cool. today. Yeah. Uh the National Symphony Orchestra Pops did a Kendrick Lamar concert where he came and he performed uh Yeah. Spin for Butterfly. Oh, really? So yeah, like this this is hip hop is something that I think to a certain extent has been marginalized in a very frustrating yeah. way. Uh and its mainstreaming has brought along its own set of yeah. problems. But I think what's cool about somebody like Kendrick Lamar um, and even to a certain extent, Kanye is that they are bringing a mainstream sound and a are breaking into the mainstream in a very meaningful way. And with it, they are bringing the voices that were kind of being left behind when it was first kind of hitting the mainstream. You know, they're they're saying things about what it's like to grow up black in America, and they're they're demanding that we look at how we deal with these issues in a much more direct way. 
and so I think we're we're in a really yeah. interesting place with and how hip hop's developing. That's kind of off topic, but yeah, no, but I I actually think I think that it's worth sort of bringing this to the sort of the state of rap right now because Drake is sort of a representative of how much things have changed in rap today. I think maybe this isn't a fair thing to say. I think in terms of the mainstreaming of rap, in some ways Eminem didn't really do the medium any favors. I, I think it's tough. I think he's more a product of that than he is a creator of yeah. it. I, I don't, you know, it's not his fault. Um, I do think it's telling that he was a member of a pretty large uh, hip-hop group in Detroit, and he's really the only one who made it out. Right. And I think that says a lot. But that that's more i think it shows where hip-hop was then in the especially in the mainstream it's i don't think it was his influence that created that i think it was the influence that was already there and really only was broken down by people like jay-z and uh dame dash and all of those people who really pushed and said no we we are going to control the yeah. message and it and it stands and it stands to point out that even despite that takeover there's a very common joke about memphis bleak jay-z's buddy because uh, because jay-z has referenced on a couple of different instances that like memphis bleak is just a hit away from making it big he also emphasizes as sort of a joke but he, he's fine because he's my friend and like i'm rich yeah, so yeah yeah, and 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 Drake is and Drake is kind of a similar way in the way that he shares the wealth. Like, there's a part, like on headlines, he says, you know, Drizzy got the money, so Drizzy gonna pay, and like I don't even have to say it. Like they just know. And by the way, like that's cool. That's that's something I'd like to think I would do if I, like, if it was gross how much I netted. Yeah, like I think everybody wants to imagine that when. Y- when you get rich or if one of your friends get rich like they will take care of their friends this is what makes drake so complicated because there's a lot of great things about drake and the way he conducts himself and the way he raps and what he says much in the way that there's a lot about eminem's music that's positive like he he talks about how important it is that he have a message to help people who are struggling like i don't think eminem is conscious of how damaging some of his lyrics oh, are. Oh, I don't think he has any idea. Because, again, I and I think, <laughs> not to bring the P word in, but I think that's what privilege looks like. Mm. He doesn't understand. Like, to him, he hasn't had to deal with this on a daily basis. It's not fair because he struggled through a lot when he was younger. But one of the things he never had to deal with was being told the kind of things he said every single day. So he just thinks he's venting. Whereas a lot of women who experience this and listen to this you know they're triggered to some traumatic event or they're it's just another reinforcement of how scared they should be of these dangerous men and it stands to point out and actually if the only point i will make that's critical of eminem's fans and followers is that he has implied in his music and a lot of his fans have defended him by saying well you know he's just being satirical and oh he's just clowning and like yeah that's that's fine for him to say but a lot of people are still waiting for the punchline if he's just joking around those jokes hurt and and it's not fair yeah it's not fair just because you don't understand why it would hurt to say that those people can't be hurt yeah so so while while people can write uh, his more egregious stuff off as satirical 
uh, for starters, I'm not really sure what he's satirizing anyway. Yeah. And we've come to the conclusion now, for good, I believe, that that's not acceptable as an excuse anymore. And I think that Eminem has just never adjusted to that. I mean, he's putting out tracks about, like, punching... I, I don't even remember who it was. Someone in the some woman in the face, and like, he said that he was gonna like rape Rick Iggy Azalea, and it's yeah. just like, and just why, man? Like I just listened to it. It's just like, what? It, what? What are you doing? Yeah, you're 45 years old. This this wasn't this wasn't okay at the time, and people were blind to it. But like now, you're just you're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, I guess, why we wanted to talk about this, even though neither of us was particularly interested in defending Eminem. I think looking through both of these guys' music and where they stand and where Eminem stood, you you see a lot of the really interesting blind spots in a very kind of clear way. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that because oftentimes with issues like this, and again, I would never say that Mick nor I are perfect, but we both certainly try to understand these things. Uh, and we're not as good at it in some places as we are in others. But I firmly believe that most people don't disagree with a lot of these feelings. Yeah. Like a lot of people, if it was easily visible to them, well, like with Eminem, Eminem's a great yeah. example. He's, he's, he's so far behind the times now because most people understand once they realize how damaging it can be to some people, they don't want to keep engaging yeah in it yeah because they're humans and they feel bad about hurting other people yeah and so i think drake highlights a lot of these issues now and and i think that we wanted to talk about it because talking about it in ways that are very easily understandable and have very specific examples helps to kind of clarify issues that can be very very nebulous and confusing and difficult to grasp including for both of us uh, <laughs> we rambled through a lot of this yeah. <laughs> like it, we don't we don't have anywhere near a handle on it, but we think talking about very specific people with issues like this helps to kind of ground difficult topics in very concrete yeah, it, ideas. It grounds it grounds the discussion in I think very specific ways in terms of the blind spots we have w- that we had in culture. You know, again, like 15 years ago, like I, yeah. I didn't listen to Eminem, but I certainly was old enough to know that he was extremely famous. I, I, I knew, I knew who he was and I knew a lot of people who were really into that. So it's interesting to sort of look at those types of societal blind spots we had. And when people may not realize how much things are changing now, it's really all you need to refer them to is just play an M- any given yeah. Eminem song and say, yeah. this was the most popular recording artist in America. Yeah. And this type of thing would not be okay now. We're, we're fortunate that we are gradually transitioning from a society where people used to be told that they just kind of had to like deal with things to the society that we have now where people are increasingly more interested and invested in defending each other yeah and and being sensitive to the fact that at best you understand 50 percent of a person and most of the people you know you know so little of their life that you could never possibly tell them whether they can or can't be bothered offended hurt or uh, upset by something and and it's fair for you to be confused and upset like i didn't like it never means that you mean yeah. it that way but i you're right it's nice look listening to eminem and understanding that we are getting to a point where we're acknowledging that 
I'm just hurt and I'm just venting isn't an excuse anymore. Once you get past and, and that, more point. importantly, you know, not to say that those types of feelings should be suppressed. Yeah. But they, but they need to be expressed through more productive outlets than fantasizing about beating up people. Right. And yeah, and and I think Drake is an example of how culture is sort of directing towards more productive outlets. Even though in this case the more productive outlet is getting petty about like people who have wronged you, <laughs> yeah, and policing women. <laughs> but it is a step. It, it's it's unfortunate that it it is a step, but it is a step. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can only hope that people will learn from Drake and yeah. not do what he does yeah. and find even more productive ways if, of dealing if, with things. If I were if I were a father, and thank God that I'm not that yet. <laughs> thank God for all of us. Um, yeah, so society is not ready for, for my, my parenting. I would certainly be more positive about, like, my kid listening to Drake than Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it just, it, oh. And I don't even know, like, how to handle the type of music that my, like, fake child would listen to. Let, let's well, get to be fair, topic. to be fair, your fake child is into some really dark, like, juggalo stuff. Some what? Juggalo? Is that like a Grimes thing? No, no. Juggalo, Juggalo is uh, Insane Clown Posse. It's this crazy, uh, oh. yeah, horrorcore oh, kind of rap yeah. group. Yeah, huh. it was. We're cutting this because nobody's gonna get that joke. Yeah, yeah. If you don't get every, that joke, every nobody's so, gonna no, get I, that joke. I know what you're talking. About. Every so often, like the Juggalos show up in the news. It's just like the Juggalos like say that they're not hateful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we should leave this in. I think it's a little bit of okay. like behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So one one parting thought. You know what I think really kind of did Eminem in? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think was Kendrick Lamar. Do tell. Well, I, I just think that I think that so much of Eminem's uh, so much of Eminem's what sort of allowed people to condone the crazy things he was talking about even now was that he was just this really stylish rapper and no one was rapping with the sort of diction and the creativity he was. And then Kendrick Lamar shows up, and I think technically he's a better rapper than Eminem. I think Chance the Rapper is also yeah. a better yeah. technical rapper than Eminem. I think, and he is yeah. the same thing. He doesn't dip into these awful, yeah. violent words. Yeah, and it, and it stands and yeah. it stands to point out that like I, I think Kendrick Lamar is so great that we entertain the idea of doing Drake versus Kendrick because they're probably the top two in rap right now. Yeah, but Mick refused because I I wouldn't argue for Drake, and yeah. Mick refused to argue that Drake was better than Kendrick. Yeah, I, I would just I just can't I can't do it like that. Yeah, that would be too much. Um, yeah. So so I think I think that seeing someone have that same command of rap and of diction. And then also have actual emotional nuance to his lyrics and like very salient social commentary. I think it kind of made Eminem's sort of tone deaf stuff a little more. Glamorous. Yeah, it made it more obvious how tone deaf he was. And yeah. I and I'm personally like, yeah, and I, I, I hate to like bag on Eminem because I don't want to be like a jerk about it. But like I personally am kind of glad that it happened because I'm glad I'm not the only one who like listens to his lyrics and is like. Hey, uh, yeah, this is really I don't gross. know about this. Speaking of things that are gross, since this is our fifth, fourth and a half episode, we're going to introduce a new segment. 
It's called Whose Idea Was Whose That? Idea was that? And this week, uh, we are going to one of the unfortunate staples of American sports journalism, the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. Woo, Get misogyny. ready, Sports Illustrated. We're coming in hot. That's right. We are coming in. And let me just you. say, like, as a precursor to this, I think Sports Illustrated is one of the pillars of print sports journalism remaining. And so this is very, very, like, upsetting to me that this is still a One thing. of the things on the laundry list of things that makes the swimsuit issue incomprehensible. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm sure most everybody who listens to this is, for some reason, familiar with this. Like, oh, a yeah. lot of people, if you stopped them on the street and you said, hey, what's Sports Illustrated? They'd be like, huh, what's that? But if you said... Do you know what the swimsuit issue is? For some reason, like 80% of the American population probably knows what that is. Yeah, it's 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 older than the Super Bowl. Yeah, and and it is just one of the like most unapologetically and frustratingly misogynist things. And and by the way, for people who are like, "Hey, no, they show men now." That makes it worse. <laughs> because that is clearly not why this magazine exists. And the like, the tokenness of adding the men in is like almost more offensive than not adding them in at all. Also, I said this is a joke, but I feel like it's worth emphasizing. This is older than the Super Bowl. Yeah, because and get this, it it had no like, it was not like let's show the majesty of the athletic body. It was like, look, men like to look at almost naked women. We'll sell more Sports Illustrated. That was the reason this came into being. There is no altruistic thing behind this. And it is just so unbelievably frustrating to me because it reinforces so many negative stereotypes about men, about sports, and it just it degrades these women who we should be celebrating for so many reasons, but basically are only like put up on a pedestal because they're attractive. And that is just so backwards and so wrong. Like, I don't understand A really egregiously i don't know how this is still a thing how in in this day and age we haven't looked at this and said yo this is really gross we need to get rid of this yeah and two i don't know how this ever became a thing like it's just who who was what what guy whose job it is presumably you know to report the sports news who is like yo we should put like half naked women in one full issue of our magazine well it was the 60s for no so i reason. assume it was don draper or like why whose idea was that 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 like hey let's interrupt our coverage of sports for one magazine a year and do nothing but show almost naked women did sports illustrated want to be playboy i own it was playboy i don't even know if time? that was a thing which would be even more unbelievable May, yeah it's possible that playboy started because they were like hey now yeah, you know, yeah, and, and I, I have no idea of the history of those kinds of publications, honestly. And, yeah. <laughs> by the way, putting putting a, uh, it, it's it's a very complicated thing because there's been a lot of hubbub recently about the uh the cover, um, hubbub. the cover woman, for this year, because she's um, and I I I'm also overweight, so I can I don't feel quite so gross talking about it because I struggle with a lot of this stuff. Um, a, a woman who is not uh, a little bit heavier than most of the kind of traditional swimsuit cover models. And that's cool. I'm glad. But like that just means it's like 
oh yay we get to bring these people who've been marginalized into this already really gross thing like that's that's progress but it's progress in the context of something that is so regressive it almost isn't progress and so it's nice for me to see somebody who at least looks a little bit more like me but it's such a gross thing already that I just it's such a confusing thing to deal with to look at the the positive uh stuff surrounding this yeah yeah well yeah because like yeah because i i had the same reaction like i didn't want to be insensitive to it but it's just like really like sports illustrated like do you think that you're breaking down like barriers yeah exactly like they 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 patted themselves on the back like oh yeah now like plus size women we accept are hot yay give us a medal for i don't know good treatment of women on the cover of again cannot restate enough one of the most transparently misogynist things yeah. in our culture yeah, my, my favorite review of the, uh, this year's sports illustrated swimsuit issue because i'm a subscriber to sports illustrated and again like like this is one of the last great like publications of print sports journalism that we have left I didn't even realize that I was going to get the swimsuit issue, but um, I recently Wait, like. I'm actually slightly surprised that they didn't make you pay extra. They might have. I, 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 it was, it was the subscription was a gift, so I, I don't know what the stipulations of that were. So my, so my dad, um, like, handed me the issue and was like, just clearly like almost disappointedly, like there aren't even any articles in it. <laughs> I checked. His dad also like is loves sports illustrated respects it sports journalism all that so this is as much a point of upset and, for and him also too. and also it stands to realize less anyone jumped any conclusions about our dad he he's not he's not a fan he's yeah he's equally horrified by it yeah. yeah so so yeah don't don't worry dad we're we got we're, you covered we got you covered yeah yeah so um well well geez like We've certainly gotten a lot of our outrage out. Yeah, that was that was cathartic. This is this is something. <laughs> there's only so much like outrage one can spew about something before it starts to get repetitive. So we're gonna cut this off soon. But I, I yeah. neither of us can express fully how aggravating it is that this thing still exists <laughs> amidst all of the strides that we've made that we've talked about in this podcast. This stupid thing is like a cockroach that just kind of hangs around. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know aggravation if I'm at the aggravation stage now as much as just like I'm just really confused. I'm just like, huh? I I think I shot past aggravation sometime in like 2010. Yeah. It for real though, like this is I I enjoy ESPN's version of this, the body issue because like at least from the start, like they started it late enough that that they're like, no. It's about the majesty of the athletic body. It's about the majesty of the athletic form. Yeah, when clearly we all know they're just trying to parrot the swimsuit issue. Yeah, it's it's even it's even stranger in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, like to any like representatives of Sports Illustrated, like please feel free to hit us back if you have a response. We would love. Uh, I love would love to yell at you further. Yeah, and we we would love. There's nothing we would love more than to get in a public feud with Sports Illustrated. Yeah, because we will. We will go to the mat. I will. I will go to the ends of the earth for this. Yeah. I I'm so sick of this stupid thing. We'll even go to Antarctica, which the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue has done. Or uh, to Vladimir Putin's new tract of real estate, the North Pole. <laughs> Because apparently Putin has decided that he gets to say who owns the North Pole. <laughs> well, I, uh, 
Let's just say it's in keeping with the rest of his character. <laughs> But yeah, so that was a that was a little combination of a new uh, new segment called "Whose Idea Was That," and a little bit of Stephen doing some "Hold My Phone" to <laughs> because I get real mad about this in case it wasn't obvious from the last ten minute rant. Yeah, you know, like sometimes it's like it's like when Steph Curry is like really feeling it and hit, swishing those like threes. It's just like, just get out of the way and let him do his thing. Like, that was me with <laughs> yeah. you. I was just like, you got this. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that we covered everything that we wanted to talk about. Are you sure that people don't want to hear me yell about the swimsuit issue for another half hour? No. I was I, I can yell about The Revenant, but I think that my, like... Actually, yeah, give us your little five-minute capsule review of, uh, of The Revenant. <sighs> I feel like that, that covers it right there. <laughs> okay, okay, so so here's the thing about The Revenant. I don't think I've ever wanted to walk out of a movie in the movie theater before. And about an hour and a half into that movie, I was just ready to go. Like, I was just ready to leave. Um, I, I just... Okay, there's a lot of things wrong with this movie. And most importantly is that the story is completely incomprehensible. Because, like, you have these Native Americans who are, like, riding across the countryside, like, blasting all of the American trappers filled with arrows. And then they show up on screen, and apparently their way of humanizing them is it's like, they kidnap the white men kidnap my daughter. And it's just like, oh, okay, I get it. So, like, his daughter got kidnapped, so he's indiscriminately murdering people. I guess that's, like, how they thought, how, like, those writers thought that Native Americans settled their problems, was by killing everybody. Um, And then they were just like, yes, these white men, we need to find the white men, but we need horses, so let's uh, go talk to our buddies, the French, who are also white. Spoiler alert, the Americans didn't take the chief's daughter, it was the French. The Native Americans never figure this out. Leonardo DiCaprio ends up rescuing the the Native American chief's daughter and like he doesn't really rescue her so much as like like disarm her captor and then just kind of leave her to I don't know like maybe die Uh, we find out at the end of the movie that she's fine uh but but yeah and there's a lot of like very ham-fisted things about how like the white like how like white settlers took the land and it's just not handled with any kind of nuance and just listen the whole movie just sucks <laughs> like it just sucks like i i i i don't feel bad i'm not gonna mince words about this they spent 130 million dollars making this 150 minute thing and it's just like it's not good <laughs> And I I would be happy to like spend forty minutes on it, but uh, it's after eleven here, and, and we're we're getting concerned out, for Mick's mental well-being. Yeah, and I kind of want to <laughs> find out who's winning the election in Michigan right now. So uh, I think uh, we're gonna wrap this up. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Follow us on Twitter at one on one pod. That's at numeral one on one pod subscribe on itunes or soundcloud or we just got on stitcher so if that's your thing you can follow us there and yeah we're back from our spring break so it'll go back to every week thank you all so much for taking a little time out of your day to listen to us yell about things that's all we got thanks obama Mm -hmm.